0: Like what was said uh, with Pastor Paul and, and Eric as they were leading us this morning, we want you to know Jesus. And so with that, um, many times we get into conversations throughout the week that really challenge us in our walk or maybe the decisions that we make. And so about five years ago, I had a, a friend of mine who was at the bank that I work at. He reached out to me and he said, hey Kyle, um, there's this opportunity at another bank um, and I'm thinking about taking it. I just wanted to let you know uh, that I was thinking about taking it. I know that we have done a lot of work together. Um, we shared faith in Christ together, and so we were kind of talking through some of the pros and cons, and he said, you know, it's closer to my home. I'm going to make more money, but there's a couple things cultural, culture-wise. I just don't know if it's going to be a good fit, and so he, he was like, well, but the money is good, and it's closer to home, and so he kind of pushed those aside, and he said, you know what? I'm going to make those kind of primary, and so I said, you know what, well, let's pray about it, and I think the Lord will lead you. And so a couple months goes by, and I get this email and said, hey, Kyle, um, let's get together for lunch. Um, I want to talk through some things. And so we got together for lunch, and right when he sat down, he had tears welling up in his eyes, and he said, Kyle, I made the worst decision of my life. Um, I shouldn't have been drawn away by those things that I thought were going to make my life better. Um, I made some of those decisions And now I regret it. And he said, I tried calling. I tried to get back into my position, but that position was already filled. And so I'm frustrated because I'm in a spot where I don't really enjoy and I want to go back, but I can't. And so I'm stuck in a hard spot and I I just need somebody to pray for me. And so I said, hey man, I'll pray for you. We kind of finished our lunch and we went back to our lives, if you will. And so one of the big takeaways for me is that change doesn't always mean Better. Many times in our lives we change our hair color, or we change our jobs, or we change the places that we live, or we change many of our friend groups, or if you're like me, you like to change the different decor in your house. Well, just kidding, that's not me, that's my wife, right? Uh, We change the way that our couches are organized in our living room. Maybe we change the details of our bedroom or our basement. Uh, In many ways, we try to change the things in our life because we don't like the status quo. We don't like things to say the same. Even if you're one of those people that you say, hey, I I like things to say the same, I think if you're honest with yourself, there's a lot of ways that we want change, but maybe in the ways that we don't want to share with other people. Many times we grow up in homes where we're maybe middle class and we want to change in a way that we get to upper class. Or maybe we're in an upper class situation where we're making more money and we want to change to get better and better. Uh, Many times our social statuses push us and we see other people succeeding and we want the same changes in our life. And at the end of the day, we are left empty and we're frustrated and we're struggling because those changes actually don't bring satisfaction. Sometimes we don't even enjoy the moment-by-moment, day-by-day lives that we have, and so we're impatient with each other. We're frustrated, and we're discouraged. And so for many of us, if we roll the the days back, the years back, we look back on the days that, that for many of us in this room that God has saved us. So God has saved us from these different circumstances, and what happens is God saves us from either homes of frustration or single parenting or homes of two parents, but just disunified home, or maybe homes of abuse or homes of of low economic status, or maybe homes of high economic status, but everybody's disjointed. And so we have these circumstances of our lives that we grow up in, and then we want to leave those circumstances. We think that getting to a different earthly circumstance or status is going to bring us satisfaction and the truth of the matter is we're frustrated because as we seek to move into different circumstances they don't satisfy but God enters in and in Christ we meet somebody and Jesus saves us and we begin to realize that maybe my life isn't defined by the statuses of our life maybe my life is defined by something greater Jesus offers a new life and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. At least that's what he said in the early days of first century Israel when he was walking along the beaches. As he was walking in the towns of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. As he's walking into the temple and people are drawn to him. Because he's saying things that are quite different and he's living for a different life than many of us that are living that we're unsatisfied and we're frustrated. And so Jesus welcomes those people in and he says, come follow me. Jesus saves them from the life that they're in and he calls them to a different life. And he says, I don't want to just call you to the life and just walk with me for the rest of your life in the sense of like, I'm going to be with you for Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And his disciples were frustrated because they, were, they felt alone. Did Jesus leave us and abandon us And what happens is Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to be with his church, to empower us to live this crazy different life that he has for us. And what Jesus does is he calls us out of the world and then sends us back into the world to be a lighthouse, to be messengers of the gospel that we would proclaim a message of freedom and of hope and a status change that doesn't leave us empty. For Jesus proclaims good news and he says those statuses that you grew up in, those earthly circumstances that have frustrated you, those memories that you have, the baggage that you have of those earthly statuses, I want to call you out of those into something greater and grander and freer. So if you have your Bibles, Joni, thank you for reading this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 17. Here's what Paul says. Is He says, when Jesus saves us, there's earthly circumstances that we're wrestling with. When Jesus saves us, he's calling us out of those, and he's saying, hey, those earthly statuses don't define you. What defines you is Jesus Christ himself. And so here's what he says in verse 17. Let each one live the life in the situation the Lord has assigned when God called him. When Paul writes called him, he means saved. This is what I command in all of the churches, So if you feel the pressure to fix those things, if you feel the pressure to change those circumstances on your own terms, like we said before, you leave empty. You're frustrated. You can't get to the place where you want to be. And so here's what Paul invites us into. And this is what our main point is this morning. So verse 17, verse 20, and verse 24. So if you look at verse 24, here's what I want to Um, give us our main idea our big idea today it says brothers and sisters each person is to remain with God in the situation in which they were called and so real short real brief main idea this morning dump status live with God dump status and live with God easier said than done right so here's what Paul does is he starts with verse 17 he reminds us in verse 20 and then in verse 24 he reminds us again don't cling to the earthly circumstances don't cling to, cling to the external circumstances don't cling to the things that'll leave you empty but cling to Jesus cling to Jesus here's what he says when we scramble to fit in when we scramble to readjust our lives from an earthly standpoint we ruin our faith and here's what was happening in Corinth. The message of the gospel was being lost. They were trying to fit in. They were trying to change the external circumstances of their lives so that they would either fit in with a Greek culture or a Jewish culture. And Paul says when you try to do that, when you try to readjust your lives, when it's not grounded on the gospel, you will find yourself grabbing for things that are temporary To apply this to our church context, here's some things I want to share with you this morning. If Paul were to write a letter, maybe some things that he would write are this. Church, First City Church, maybe you make less money than somebody else. Who cares? Live with God. Maybe you drive a nicer car than somebody else. Who cares? Live with God. Maybe you make less money or you drive not as nice of a car. Who cares? Live with God. Maybe you're one of those people that are struggling in life. I want to encourage you to run to Jesus. Don't let those earthly circumstances define you. Be found in Christ. Now, is it nice to make more money? Is it nice to have a bigger home? Is it nice to be able to give more? Sure, absolutely, right? But if those earthly circumstances are defining you, he says, dump status and live with God. In this text, Paul emphasizes a couple different things Social statuses of the day. So you may have heard what Joni was reading. and You're like, man, where's he going to go with this? Paul talks about circumcision. Paul talks about slavery. And so what what Paul's really doing is he's saying, in that church context, in Corinth, they were wrestling with some of these earthly temporary statuses. They were wrestling through circumcision. They were wrestling through slavery. How do those define me? What if I'm a slave and I'm a part of the church in Corinth? What if I'm a Greek and uncircumcised? How does that define me in my church context? Does that make me less of a Christian or more of a Christian? So in this text, Paul wants to encourage us this morning. Our earthly statuses, our external statuses, the things that most people want to define ourselves and define us, those do not matter. What matters is our status with God. My wife and I, we have five kids, and I feel like we're in pretty much every early childhood development stage that there is, right? So I think, uh, I think as many of you, if you've taken psychology and sociology, you've heard terms like uh, the infant stage and the toddler stage and the, the pre-tween and the teen and the pre-adolescence and all those terms, right? I feel like soon enough, um, our kids are going to move from... Those early development stages to the, to the early teen stages, and then to adult, and then we're going to try to figure out how to transition. How do we do that? So for you, grandparents and parents, as you guys transition, we need your help as, as younger parents to adjust to that, to figure that out, right? So here's what happens. My infant wants to climb a chair or eat things that she shouldn't, and she challenges the status quo, She wants to move from her infancy to the toddler years, and she wants to challenge the status of her life. She struggles with the status that she's in. My toddler seeks autonomy, and he's frustrated. Dad, why can't I use the hammer on that thing, right? He wants to have autonomy, and he wants to be trusted, but the truth is, it just can't happen right now, (laughs) right? My 6-year-old and my 9-year-old and my 11-year-old, Ella and Judah, are here. Um, They are seeking for autonomy as well. They want decision making. They want adult like responsibilities. They want to grow in independence. They want to grow in self and how how they experience the world. As they're growing, their legs are hurting. Their bodies are, are moving and changing in different ways, and status calls to them. As they get older, their friendships get a little bit more difficult. The conversations get harder. The relating to one another is difficult. They want status change. If we move past these childhood stages, uh, we move into some of those early adolescence uh, where the struggle of status with friends and getting along and clothing and skin care and braces and strength and beauty and if you comb your hair to the side or down the middle, all of those things matter, right? We seek to be accepted We want to be known for who we are, but yet we find ourselves changing and adapting to try to be what everybody else is like. There's a social status of pulling us into what everybody else wants and likes gets harder and harder. It calls to us. Status calls to us. The shift to leave what we know socially to what we are becoming gets harder and harder. We seek acceptance. We struggle to find true friendship. And we wrestle with, am I becoming somebody that somebody else wants me to be? Or are we becoming the person that God has designed me to be? And this is what Paul enters in. So when he talks about these social statuses in Corinth, here's what he's calling us into. He's saying, are, are you letting those statuses define you? And he says this one thing, would you dump those earthly statuses would you live with God? Would you let God define you? In the second half of verse 17, he says, this is what I command in all the churches. I think either we learn this as a a child or we have selective hearing, but sometimes we get frustrated because, um, similar to Paul, he's saying, hey, this is what I command in all the churches. And so the church and us might feel the sense of like, well, Paul's saying this to this church And so just to reiterate, just to make it clear, here's what Paul says. I'm not just saying that you should dump status and live with the Lord, live with God. I'm saying that this is a a command, this is a a commission for you and all the churches. This is for Corinth, this is for Ephesus, this is for first city, this is for all people for all of time. If you define yourself by these earthly statuses, you will leave yourself empty. And here's what he calls us into. Would you leave those behind? Would you, would you seek for a greater life? Would you seek for a life that is, be, that is found in Christ? And here's what he says, the things of this world will pass away, but the things of God will be everlasting, eternal. And so here's what I want to encourage you with, Greek or Jew, slave or free, black or white, short or tall, male or female, Paul reminds the Corinthian church and us today that... It doesn't matter about our career. It doesn't matter where we work. It doesn't matter who we're married to. It doesn't matter those earthly statuses that we have. What defines us is Christ and Christ alone? So I want to ask you this morning, this is where it kind of gets real, and I think where God is stirring in my heart, uh, even through this week and the weeks prior, uh, where does status call to you? So you might say, well, Kyle, I don't really struggle with that circumcision or slavery thing, so I want to ask you some questions that might be more applicable to you. Where do you seek for status approval? Is it a promotion at work? Is it marriage? Is it leadership? Is it teaching? Is it financial health? Is it praise from others? Is it that your kids would be obedient when others are looking? Is it that your friends would accept you? Is it that your musicianship would please and and other people would see that? Or maybe the things that you say are so eloquent that people see you and say, man, that person's knowledgeable and awesome. The truth is, is that in Corinth, their behaviors were being motivated by being accepted by the social norms. Their behaviors were... Um, moving in a direction where the gospel was being watered down and their identity was being lost. And so I want to ask you this morning, is your identity being lost by seeking social acceptance? Is the, the power and the weight of the gospel in your life losing its power because you're so worried about what those cer- earthly circumstances are and are you, are you losing the power of your witness in the gospel in your life? In the same way that Jesus went into the neighborhoods and went into the places of worship and walked along the beach is, is that power of the gospel. He knew who he was. He knew who his father was. And he knew what mission he was sent on. In this passage, like we said before, Paul addresses a couple different social norms. So in verse 18, I want to read this. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? Question. <laughs> he should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised, he should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's commands is what matters. And so here's what Paul's saying in real summary, is that changing the physical, your physical body isn't going to change you. Whether you change, you add something or take it away, it isn't going to redefine who you are in Christ. It's not going to make you in a better standing with God, and it's not going to take away your social standing with God. So what was happening in Corinth is that there were Greek, there were Greek influence, and there was Jewish influence. So you got cultural differences, right? And so you have Jewish people, Jewish men specifically, that were circumcised, and they were trying to fit in with the Greek culture. And so they said, well, maybe if I could change that, then these people would be acceptable, that these people would accept me. And what was happening on the other side is the Greeks were saying, well, if God's people were circumcised and this is the way that God gave his promises to his people and that they would obey, then maybe we should become like them. And so you have this two, these two groups of people trying to be like the other and they were all confused. Verse 19, just to reiterate, none of these matter. None of these matter. The Old Testament, I think it's kind of interesting for the fact that I think some of the early Jews kind of struggled with this because what was happening in Corinth is that God had called his people. And in the Old Testament, one of the promises that God's people were his people is that they were actually circumcised. So obedience to God meant that you would be circumcised as a man on your eighth day, right? And so in the New Testament, so so you might be thinking, well, why do we still practice that today? Well, in some ways, it's a little bit tradition, because what we find in the book of Matthew is that when Jesus comes, Jesus says, hey, that old practice of circumcision is dead in me. I'm the fulfillment of all of those laws that were required. And when Jesus, when Jesus does that, um, a couple weeks ago, actually, I want to go back a couple weeks. If you were here, um, raise your hand if you were here. We celebrated Baptism Sunday. Anybody here for that? Okay. So on Baptism Sunday, we celebrated um, two things. One, Uh, The celebration of new life in Christ that people were brought into the waters of baptism and brought out. And what Pastor Chris said is actually the Old Testament promise of circumcision was actually pointed to a New Testament promise and fulfillment. And that was baptism and communion. And so as Pastor Chris talked through that is we don't have to follow those practices of circumcision because the fulfillment of that is in Christ. We see Christ. We are actually in Christ. And so when Christ is, goes into the grave and comes out, that is the celebration of baptism. And so we see for those of us that are in Christ, we celebrate communion because his body was broken for us. He was beaten for our transgressions. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so we celebrate that. And we don't have to practice that. Do people still practice it? Sure but does it have any bearing of our standing with God and the answer is no and so here's what Paul calls us out to you. would you follow Jesus in this would you turn away from those earthly statuses that you think are going to define you in a way that makes you right with God or maybe you have to change those to make you yourself fit in with the circumstances of your society and Paul says those don't matter circumcision doesn't matter Uncircumcision doesn't matter. The earthly circumstances don't matter. So as we go into uh, the next few verses, Paul's going to talk about uh, more specifically slavery. And so I want to define a few terms before we get into that because I think uh, sl- slavery specifically has some baggage. And so when we talk about a slave, what Paul is talking about is not what was happening in America in the 17th and 18th centuries. What happened in those years was not okay it's a diminishing of value of life and so we don't we don't actually accept that that was good and so in the church what Paul was saying is is he was addressing a certain type of slavery when the truth of the matter is one third of the population of Corinth was actually in a slave or bondservant type of role In in Rome, the institution of slavery was actually... Masters had slaves and they would perform different responsibilities. A lot of them actually had lots of influence and power. And so these masters would ask their slaves to do things like this. Administer their wealth. They would be teachers of their children. Many of them were accountants and doctors to their immediate family. Some of them were iron workers and mill workers. And being a slave typically meant that you were in debt. So if you owed somebody something money, typically you would put yourself into slavery and then you would work your way out of it. That's why Proverbs 22 actually says, borrower is slave to the lender. Slavery was very much linked to debt. You owed somebody something. And many times if you were a slave and you had a good master, it means that you had security and safety and a job and a pillow to sleep in. Another word that Paul uses in these next few verses is a freedman. A freedman was a person who was once a slave and is now free. A freedman was a person that maybe a master wanted to grant them freedom, or maybe they worked long enough where they, made, uh, they earned enough money where they could buy their freedom. So we have slavery, we have freedmen, and then we have the word, the, the phrase free man. This person was a person that's never been a slave before. They were never owned by somebody. They were essentially free. So in verses 22 through 23, I want to read these words. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can be free, by all means, take the opportunity. For if he who is called by the Lord is a slave, is the Lord's freedman. Notice that word. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave you were bought at a price do not come do not become slaves of people it's interesting because if you notice these different terms paul uses the word slave and he says in christ you are now free he uses the word freedman who is a person who has actually been been uh, freed by their master or has bought in their freedom is now a slave And the truth is, is that both of those people, the slave and the freedman, have a new master. The truth is, is that their earthly master doesn't have any bearing anymore on their eternal status. Now, do they still need to um, honor their master? Absolutely. But in Christ, their new heavenly eternal status is that they are free. And not only are they free, but they have a new master. And so in this crazy dichotomy of what Paul's getting at, is he said, hey, you might be free, but now you are a bondservant to Christ. Why is that true? Because who paid for the freedom? Well, Christ paid for their freedom. They may have not paid for their freedom, with Christ may have not paid the monetary uh, price for their freedom, but he paid for the freedom to be saved from their sins. And so Paul's really pushing on these earthly statuses, yeah, they may be temporary, but the eternal heavenly statuses is what matters. For those of you who have never experienced this freedom, I want to I wanna offer this call for you this morning. You may be in the position where you feel like you've been enslaved, whether it's to your uh, relationship, or maybe you've been enslaved to some of the circumstances of your life, Maybe you've been frustrated by your place of work you feel like your identity has been wrapped up in the things of this world. And so here's what, here's what Paul and Jesus offers you this morning. He says, you may have been in slavery. You may be in slavery right now. You may be wrestling with those secret sins of your life. And here's what Jesus says. Those things can be paid for. Those things can be taken care of and your eternal standing with God can be, temp- can be eternally changed. And so if that's your situation this morning, if you are locked up, if you are enslaved, if you are struggling with things that you have not given to the Lord, I just want to take a few moments to pray for you this morning. When I was eight, the Lord set me free from my slavery to sin. I was terrified of the dark and the Lord transformed my life. And has it been hard? Absolutely but it has, has it been joyous because I have a new master? Absolutely. And so I want to take a few minutes to just pray. If you are in that spot this morning where you feel kind of jammed up, if you're stuck in, in kind of the patterns of this world, I want to pray for freedom for you this morning. Father, this morning, I want to just ask that those in this room that are stuck, that are slaves, that are stuck in the temporary pleasures of this world, or maybe they're stuck in life circumstance, or maybe their identity is wrapped up in past baggage. God, I pray for salvation. I pray that you would save them from where they're at, that you would save them to a new life in Christ. I pray, God, for freedom for them, that you would re-give them a new identity, that these earthly statuses wouldn't hold them, that wouldn't call to them in the same ways, but that you would set them free that they would be truly a freed man in Christ. And so we just pray that in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 John 1, 9, here's what John says, is that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I want to end this morning with where we started. In verse 24, it says, Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. And so I pray that First City would be a church that we wouldn't be so concerned with social statuses. We wouldn't be concerned with how many uh, cars that we have or the social conditions of our life, but that we would be more enamored, we'd be more excited about the things of God, that we'd be praying for one another, that we'd be um, as... as, uh, Evan just shared as I was walking forward, that we'd be gentle and lowly, that we'd be men who um, love Jesus and love those around us, that we'd be women who aren't defined by what others think of us, or men, if we have to have our families together or our individual selves together, that we wouldn't be defined by these temporary earthly things, that we would be defined by Christ and Christ alone. And so that's what I want to pray as we end this morning, our service this morning, is if if you are letting those things define you, what's going to happen is you're going to slide. And it's what Paul says. He says in verse 23, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. And so we would let ourselves be defined by the things of this world. What happens is we slide back into slavery. And so I would just pray that First City Church would be a place of freedom. It'd be a place of freed men and women. It'd be a place where our identities and our lives are found in Christ. And so would you pray with me as we seek the Lord in that. Father, again, we, we lift up our lives to you this morning. We are a people and we struggle with all kinds of crazy things. I'm thankful that in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. I pray, Father, that this morning is if, if you could um, pull anything um, out of this this morning, that you would convict us, that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that you would redefine who we are in Christ Help us to not be drawn to the social statuses of this world, but help us to be made new. That our newness in life in Christ would bring freedom and joy and celebration. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.